Hello and welcome to the Marketing Meetup Podcast. I'm Joe. Thank you very much for listening today. Today we have Dr. Grace Kite of Magic Numbers, uh, a truly impressive, uh, well thought of, uh, just amazing human being, uh, speaking all about the inflection point between when uh, performance marketing stops and when brand marketing should begin. Now, this is one of those challenges that is so tricky uh, to get right and a perennial challenge for any marketer in any organization where we have to justify brand spend. And Grace basically arms you here with a very compelling argument for when uh, that moment should be. And really, it gives you the arguments to take to your board too, uh, which I think is really important because so often we know this thing to be true, but using the right words and giving the right data to prove it that's what Grace does here today, which is endlessly useful. Grace presents a bunch of really useful slides uh, in the presentation. So as ever, the video is available on the Marketing Meetup website uh, if you'd like to see the visuals that go along with this presentation. However, she is also a true pro, so she does describe uh, the charts in, 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 in the presentation today. Before we get going, I just want to say a big thank you to today's featured sponsor. This week, it's Storyblock, the headless CMS. They've just released a new guide to creating seamless experiences that exceed customers' expectations. That's linked in the Marketing Meetup newsletter, which will be coming out uh, this week. So do take the time to check out that guide um, or find it on the, the Storyblock website. It's a really, really interesting piece of tech. Uh, that can start to reimagine how you think about CMSs. With all that said, uh, now is the time to pass over to Grace, who starts off with a presentation, and then we have some Q&A at the end. I really hope you enjoy, and uh, see you soon. And the question is today, when should marketers start investing in, in brand as well as performance marketing? And... Um, these are the these are the sort of topics I'm going to talk you through. I'm going to start off with time to change. So, like, when is the moment that actually it is time to change from performance to brand? And then what happens at that moment? Um, it turns out that in most cases that I've seen, and I've worked with lots of businesses that have gone through this, that doing analytics, that there's sometimes resistance from people internally. Um, so I'm going to talk you through some of the some of the things that might help you get over that resistance in places. Then, um, final section then is what if you don't move over to brand? What if you stick with performance forever? Um, and I've got a really lovely case study to share with you about that from a brand you will have heard of, actually. Then finally, we'll finish up with some Q&A. Um, so keep your questions because I want to hear them and have a chat at the end. Okay, so look, you know, if you sell online, um, it's likely that your growth during your startup phase is going to be powered by the online advertising tools that the platforms, Google and Meta, maybe Amazon nowadays too, provide. And these work really well when you're small and smallish. And, and it's really easy to see that that's the case, right? Your business is kind of simple and small enough that it's easy to see marketing work, working. You switch it on, you grow. So why change anything? Well, look, first of all, I wanted to start off with saying, um, actually, 
it is the right thing for most businesses to start with those those kind of performance marketing tools or the, all those tools that the platforms provide. And this is a, a chart that comes from the ARC database, which has got hundreds and hundreds of results of econometric evaluations in it. Um, it's something that Magic Numbers, my company, does with the IPA. Um, and actually, this is a cut that no one's ever seen before. So a secret one just for you, which I've which I've done. Um, and um, what we've done is we've cut the ARC data just to show what smaller businesses do. And on the left there, you've got, you've got smaller businesses where the return on investment from their campaigns was quite low, so less than £1.50. And on the right-hand side, you've got, um, you've got econometric evaluations, the results, um, and the media mixes for, for smaller businesses that got a, a bigger return on investment, so greater than £1.5. And look, you can see, can't you? What's the difference between the two? Well, on the right-hand side, um, those higher ROI campaigns had more of those performance marketing channels. They had more PPC, they had more social, and they did less of the traditional brand building channels that we might use, things like TV. So smaller businesses get high ROI using performance media. So when you're relatively small, these are the channels that pack the most punch. And there's a reason for that. It's because when you're small, you can grow a lot via your own demand pool. Um, I'm going to introduce you to what that is. Um, and I'm not really one for doing lots of big theory. But what we've tried to do here is boil down relevant theory for, for, for the topic today into something quite simple. So demand pools is a way of, of categorized purchases that might happen in the category. And the gray demand pool there is where people who are only a potential customer of the category belong. So for example, in the months up to the run up of my son's birthday, I was in the category pool of demand for kids t shirts, I wasn't really buying now, but I was kind of vaguely thinking about it for his birthday. Um, and what those people in the gray have in common is that they're not really ready to buy right now, but they're potentially going to buy. Um, and the green demand pool there, right in the middle, is, 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 is customers that are, are, are much more ready to buy. They're in the zone right now. They're ready to buy a product like yours. And they've maybe become aware of you as a seller, but they haven't ruled you out yet in favor of a competitor. So they're actively interested and available to you. Um, and if everything goes well, they might become a customer, might become a customer. So marketing works to move people from the left to right where the big arrows are. And look, startup strategies like paid search and social ads work like that right-hand arrow. They find potential customers who are ready to buy and they bring them to your site so that you can purchase. And I'm gonna call those demand harvesting activities. And some people might think of it as direct response or activation or performance marketing, but when they work, they work straight away or soon after they reach their target. That left-hand arrow there is for activities that fill up your kind of green pool from the category pool. And we call those demand building, but you could call it awareness building or brand building. Um, and what it is, is that the search and social are great at the right-hand task, getting people easily to the point where they can assess size or quality or delivery times and then check out. And look, what you're, what you're doing when, you, when you're carrying out your search and social activities, you're fishing your pool of demand. You're taking people out of there and you're converting them into actual customers. And this is absolutely a good thing to do early in the life of your business because there are always a number of customers that are researching or shopping online and they're in the market and they're not loyal to a competitor. If you've got a good product offer and a, and a well-targeted message, you can convert those people to a customer very cheaply and also very easily. 
you know, an ad on a search page is very, isn't very expensive to make or deploy. And if it catches someone when they're ready to purchase, they're, they're easy to convert, right? If people see it at the right moment, it's well placed with the right message, then, you know, bish, bash, bosh, they're a customer, right? Um, but the thing to know is that your pool can be fished more or less, depending on how much you spend on your demand harvesting. So in this example, the business is spending enough to reach a third of the people in the pool. But look what happens as you continue to increase the amount of demand harvesting you're doing, the amount of search and social you're doing. In this example, the business is spending enough to reach 80% of the pool with demand harvesting. And actually, as you spend more, you're starting to reach some of the people that are harder to convert. So with all that increase in spending, all that extra pink on my slide, we haven't seen too many more customers over there on the right. And what's happening is you're reaching ever more of the pool and eventually you've reached almost everyone and the remainder are those that are least likely to convert. You know, maybe they heard about your competitor first or they didn't like the logo on the T-shirt so much. Um, and you can increase spending on demand harvesting for longer if your pool is bigger, of course. But you're going to get to this situation where your pool is overfished quicker if your pool is smaller, either because it's quite niche or because the world has changed maybe in ways that, that make your category smaller. And, you know, that's that's a really important point to think about because you can get to overfished quicker because of changes in the outside world. The pools of demand can shrink in ways that are not in your control. So this year, for example, around the world, energy and food prices have been going up. And, and that's caused many demand pools to shrink because people have to spend more on the necessary, necessary, necessary things. They have less left over at the end of the month. So they delay purchases on things that they don't absolutely need to need to get. So it's demand for the category that's falling, the grey pool, and that has a knock on effect on, on the individual's pool of demand, the green one. So look, even, even this, in this situation, even though your marketing strategy might actually be the same, you'll be getting less customers for the same amount of effort in search and social. So you're reaching that point where your, your pool is overfished quicker. So what happens? What does it feel like when, when your pool is overfished? Well, look, here's a quote from a media expert that's been working with lots of online businesses that have got to this point where the pool is overfished. He says, your CPC goes up significantly. So your, your cost per engagement goes up significantly and you're getting over what your target CPA is. Everything's become inefficient. And you can sort of hear the panic in his voice, can't you? You know, um, these kind of businesses, like maybe you, you guys who are listening out there have this yourself, that, that you're really watching all those metrics all the time and, and you, you feel them when they change in the wrong direction. Um, and it's quite a scary moment, isn't it? Um, but it is... But I've, I'm here to tell you, it's a very typical stage in the life of an online business. Um, so much so that I'm, I made the ramp and bump chart here to describe it with my friends and colleague, Tom Roach, um, who's, who's brilliant at making stylized charts out of data, which I've seen. I kind of tell him, I tell him I've seen this in data and he makes one of these stylized charts for it. <laughs> but this is a stylized picture. It's a model. It's got time along the x-axis and sales from advertising on the y-axis. And the left-hand side of the chart is when the business is young and growth is coming from scaling up demand, harvesting, marketing, mainly paid search and social. 
And as we said, like this is a really good way to get growth when you're you're a young online business because it's cheap and easy to control and it can drive growth for a long time, often several years. It makes sense to fish your demand pool first to convert people who are warm before doing harder marketing tasks. But look what happens in the middle of the chart. Once the business has reached a certain size, growth stalls and that demand harvesting isn't working anymore because your, your pool's overfished. There's not enough demand to harvest anymore. So you reach the, what we call the performance plateau. And you can see on the right hand side there what the solution is. Um, you need to fill your demand pool back up again with more people. So that means reaching the right pe re reaching people who are not ready to buy right now and staying in their minds until they are. Or maybe you need to convince people who currently prefer a competitor. So what do you do? Wider reach, richer creative and attention holding media channels. Um, and, and essentially brand building is the answer at this point. So what happens when businesses go for that is that you see not only that direct effect, that's the yellow, but also there's a synergy where suddenly there's increased effectiveness of your demand harvesting, your, your paid search and social again. And that can be increased again and still produce customers. So in other words, the, the business can finally break through that plateau. Um, and this, this is the sort of stylized model version of it. This here is a real, real life example of it coming out of an econometric model. Um, and, you know, we've seen it at magic numbers over and over again in furniture, in fashion, in finance and more. Um, what happened, this advertiser got about a year of growth by gradually increasing demand harvesting, doing search ads, then shopper ads, and then doing social media ads targeting link clicks. But after a while, they began to see less return from that additional spend. They could spend, they could spend another £10,000, but it wouldn't move the dial on sales. So they'd reached this plateau. And then in this example, they, they got off the plateau by using a TV campaign. And when they took that step, it produced growth directly there in the yellow, but it also increased the effectiveness of their demand harvesting activity again. And what's happening in the background is that you're filling your pool up. Um, you know, whether you call it demand building or you call it brand building or you call it awareness building, it makes a lot of people aware of you and it makes some people start their journey to purchase. So it's filling up that green pool. And it's something that's under your control, converting people from being in that big grey unaware circle into the dark green one that you can fish from with your demand harvesting again. Okay, but all exciting, isn't it? But there's resistance. You know, you've reached that moment in the company's life where it does seem like the right time to at least investigate demand building. Um, but, you know, there's a problem and the chances are you're going to come across something, someone in the business that thinks like this. No, it's an on, it's, I can't give you the name of the person because this was um, shared with me um, on, the content, on the condition that it would absolutely be anonymous. Um, but it, this, was, um, this is, this is um, a, the most senior marketer in a UK scale up talking about when he spoke to the founder. I spoke to him about brand building and he was like, yeah, I'm not trying to do what you want to do. I don't want to become a household name and be famous. I just want to put a pound in and get 50 pound back. And this is quite often what senior people think, especially if they've grown up in online businesses that have succeeded via demand harvesting. They feel like marketing is something where they can put money in and get money back. Like it's very transactional, like you're in control. You know, it's not surprising they call it dashboards because they make you feel like you're driving, don't they? And actually in the early stage of your business growth, 
um, whether demand pool isn't overfished yet, that's what it is because you can just fish the pool. You can spend a pound and get a customer and get 50 pounds back. But we've seen that that won't last forever and that filling pools, the pool is, is necessary both for, for continued growth and a life that's a bit less risky. So how do you bring someone like this on board with the idea? And it's about showing them the right evidence. Now, I love me measurement um, and evidence that, that I'm a data person and I, I'm quite happy to, to admit it. I love a spreadsheet. Um, but you have to think about what the right evidence to bring is. And it's not always the most obvious thing um, because the right evidence to bring is the evidence that will actually convince this person that needs to needs to change or needs to move on. Um, and in, in many businesses that are at the moment, the moment what we're talking about, the person that has to be brought on board is, is somebody that's, that's, that's been involved with performance marketing for a long time. And it's rarely possible to skip the step of getting the performance marketing people on board. Maybe they've been there since the beginning or they're friends with the founder or they've quite rightly had the credit for growth so far so that they can't, they can't, can't be left to the side and, and, and ignored. And what skeptics like that person need to know is that when you do do demand building advertising or awareness building or brand building, when you fill your pool up, it makes that one in 50, one, one in 50 back equation work better and for longer. And it's because it's easier to harvest demand if there is more demand there to harvest. So the pitch to the performance marketing person or the person that thinks marketing is really transaction, the pitch for brands is that it's going to make your job better and easier. This is a win-win, right? So they need to see that these three things that are going to benefit the performance marketing team as well as the business overall. You're going to get lots of, of visits. Many of them are, are, are free or a cheap journey to you. You're going to get off that plateau. You're going to be able to spend money and it's going to work again. You're not going to be able to, you, you're not going to be in that situation where if you spend, the CPA goes down. And then the third one is just search marketing works better. You get higher rankings, lower cost per click, and everything becomes more efficient in the search marketing area once you go into brand building. So I'm going to show you a few slides that are evidence for that. And these are things that you, you could do in your own business with your own data, with your search marketing or performance marketing team's data um, when you do start with brand building. So here's one. Um, demand building makes your search, search work better for paid search, right? So what we're seeing here is on the x-axis brand reputation score, something that grows with demand building activity, and the bars are for click-through rate. And you can see that as the brand's reputation grows because they've been doing brand building, advertising, so does the click-through rate. Um, now, look, in this study here, there, there's a, a, a slight dip on, on the top score and reputation. And we think that's because the, when the brand reaches that level, so it's well, so well known, more people come to it direct. Um, but the pattern is very clear otherwise, isn't it? A, a stronger brand reputation, a higher click-through rate on paid search. And you might not in your mind go, oh, a click-through rate on paid search, that's really important. But a performance marketing person knows that click-through rate on paid search is really valuable. Um, and the reason why is because the algorithms respond to click-through rates. So this is a sort of simplified flowchart of what happens when you, you fill your, your pool using demand building or brand building activity. Um, and in the top rung on this diagram, there's that effect we talked about earlier, which is more cheap and free free visits. 
And then in the second two rungs, there's also the effect of higher click-through rates and the way that the bidding algorithms for Google and others respond. What happens is that filling the pool leads to an improved click-through rate on both organic and paid search. And the search algorithms see this as an improvement in the quality of your ads, and, th and, that acts, then they, and then they act accordingly. So for organic, your listing moves up the page. Um, and for paid, what happens is your quality score improves, um, and that makes it more likely that you'll win the auction for your PPC ads. And sometimes you'll, move, you'll win the auction at, at a lower bid price too. So all of that means that your paid search ads get cheaper. So brand building has this indirect effect on making search ads more clicked on and cheaper. So this is all really good news for your performance marketing team. And this is the sort of thing that they need to hear to get over the resistance to brand building. And here's a case study of a brand that made the transition. Now, it's funny to think of them as a startup or scale up, really, isn't it? Because they've been so successful. They've achieved such big, big scale Airbnb. But in their early years, um, they, they, were, they were all about search engine hits and they were all about performance marketing and search, search, search marketing. Um, and that worked for a long time. But in 2019, just before the pandemic, they shifted their marketing strategy to be more brand driven and less dependent on search. And do you know, it's something that actually their chief financial officer, their CFO now, is saying proudly in the press. He says, you know, I'm going to quote him. We made that shift and it's proven to be the right shift, not only in 2019, but in 2020 and 21 too. Because first they focused on PR, which was a good lever for brand building for them because people feel strongly about Airbnb and, and, and generate com content. Then in 2021, they launched their first large scale brand marketing campaign made possible by hosts. Um, this drove traffic to the Airbnb platform by 20%, more 20% more traffic. So that's that first win, isn't it? More, um, more visits. But what also happened was that their return on investment for performance marketing increased. And the CFO is saying this in the press. Um, and their overall marketing spend dropped by over 30% year on year without any drops in traffic. And that's because the brand building was making their performance marketing cheaper and better and more efficient. 90% um, of traffic afterwards came to the platform direct. So you, you, can pay, you need to pay less in the, search market, search, um, in the search marketing zone and profitability increased. Um, you know, most profitable to date, marketing costs down 44%. So a huge case study of, of, of the success of brand building and improving how search marketing works. But is brand the only way at this point? There's something else that your performance marketing people might be doing, or there's some other way of getting growth at this point. Um, and there is one, actually, and I, I want to talk to you about, about a little bit about that and what happens if you go down that route um, and where it might end up. So what happens if you know that you've, re you've overfished your pool, you've, you've reached everyone that could want, want the thing that you sell? And we've mentioned that one way to get off that plateau is to do demand building. But there is another route, which is to widen your range so that you can access adjacent pools of demand and continue to use your search and social, your demand harvesting tools um, to fish that other pool. And that can give you more growth. So the left hand chart here is, is a total sales for the first product that this, this business had. Um, 
And you can see that plateau pattern growth sort of stalls as that pool of warm prospects online have all been reached. Um, and, you know, what is this business to do if they want growth to resume? Well, if they don't decide to do brand building or demand building, maybe they take their their expertise, maybe it's in producing T-shirts and they move into another T-shirt, uh, something with a different logo on or, or maybe something related to the logo that was on that first T-shirt. An adjacent demand pool where they have some credibility and they have some warm prospects and they know all about how to do demand harvesting. They know how about to, how to get people out of that pool and, and convert them into customers you know, what keywords to bid on, when to increase spend, how to grab attention on Facebook or Instagram. So this is what they do. They launch product number two. And because there are people out there that want it and are warm to this brand, they have a new green demand pool to work with and they know how to fish it. So they launch the new line and sales of that new product grow quickly. Um, they still sell the first product, but sales of that aren't growing anymore. But now this company's growth at total level has resumed because the second product is growing and it works. So on they go to product two in orange, um, you know, at that point, it's it's now reached the point where it's demand pool has mostly been fished and growth is starting to slow. And so they do the same trick again. Maybe they go into a third product and there it is in green and growth can proceed again because the demand pool for one product gets fully to fished. There's more growth in a, in a new one nearby um, and bigger e-commerce businesses typically have quite a large range of products and, and the range sometimes looks a bit kind of strange because it's 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 not very focused it's it's gone kind of too big in a way to be really clear about what this business now does um their bit their ranges have got bigger and bigger and bigger for precisely this reason they've grown by opening up new pools that they can address with their existing demand harvesting strategies and they're good at it and it allows them to grow and grow and grow but look, beware, eventually there may not be enough adjacent demand pools to grow into. Your range might reach maturity or you might it might start to be confusing what you're there for. Like what to consume, what do you do when you're what do consumers think of you for when your range is kind of almost everything? Um, and, and that's that's the story in, in, in the case study that I want to talk to you about next, which is my last little bit. Um, it's ASOS. They're, they're a really good example of what happens if you don't do demand building or you don't do brand building because they never really did it, but they did grow and grow and grow. They're now a huge company worth 2.8 billion or something. Um, and But this is their story. You know, they, they launched with that name as seen on screen, some a really tight proposition talking about um, clothes that people in movies and things had, had worn. Um, and, you know, started off the, the 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 Pulp Fiction wallet there, which I still think is a really cool item. Um, and that had legs, the as seen on screen thing. Um, but eventually it couldn't power their growth anymore. So they expanded the range outside of that original proposition so that they could apply their performance marketing skills to more and more keywords. Um, over time, they applied performance marketing to a much bigger range then the same range in more geographies and then lower and lower price points. Um, and later, um, you know, they'd got to the point where they had 10,000 different black t-shirts on ASOS um, and growth had still slowed down even, even in their newer markets and even with, with, with all of those t-shirts. And so by the time it got to 2022, customer growth was only at 2%. And for the first time ASOS made a loss 
And what's happened, if you look behind the scenes, is that they're running out of new keywords, new pools to target so that growth has slowed down. And at this point, the business has recognised the importance of demand building or brand building to the point that in 2021, they took a shortcut and bought the Topshop brand name. Um, for those of you that don't know, this was once their main their main competitor, a famous and kind of very well-established brand selling to 20-somethings on the high street. Um, and that enabled ASOS to take advantage of Topshop's brand um, and, and top up some of their, their demand pools. But it still wasn't enough. The core range wasn't providing growth. Um, and the new CMO comes in, bought, bought in to diagnose and solve the problem. And uh, what did he say? He says, well, look, more than 80% of our marketing investment has been focused on performance marketing, leaving insufficient spend focused on driving longer term brand awareness. And as a result of that, customer acquisition has slowed with the cost to acquire a new customer has increased. So performance marketing costs going up. And in 2023, this year, he's, he's publicly saying in the marketing press that his new plans are to increase broad reach um, marketing to, to drive brand awareness. So ASOS has belatedly realized the importance of kind of demand building for getting off that. I'm going to call it the mother of all performance plateaus. Um, so a cautionary tale there that you can put off the moment, but not forever. Um, OK, I'm going to finish up there and open up to questions. Smashed it, Grace. Uh, absolutely smashed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, you, you. You said um, you would like to finish there, but I'm actually, you haven't asked me to do this, but like you've put up a QR code here and, and, and would you mind just sort of speaking through this very quickly? Because like you deserve to to sort of have this in, in the sun too, right? Oh, yes. Oh, thank you. So kind. Um, we do offer training at Magic Numbers and some of what I've talked about today is, is taken from our, our, our course for um, online businesses that have grown beyond scale up, gone beyond, grown beyond startup. Um, we've got a cohort of it starting in a couple of weeks. So if you're interested, please do scan the QR code and have a look. Um, we've also got a spring take, intake in April as well. So um, I'd love to see some of you lovely guys. Um, get to know you a bit better the, in the in the course environment it's lovely and cozy we have lots of like live um chats so i get to know everybody that comes and does this does the courses which is a great joy to me uh, that's, that's absolutely brilliant and like um if you want a, a, a an example a case study of grace being grace being grace then uh you almost zipped over that without saying it, but you absolutely deserve to be speaking about this. It looks like an absolutely fabulous course. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Um, and also, I just want to pick out a few comments. Uh, Simon says, top class, digestible complexity, as always. Useful takeaways. Nice one, Grace. And then uh, we've got Ian in the chat saying, legend. Not only is it <laughs> solid gold, quite clearly you love what you do, Grace. Uh, and there is just a bunch of uh, lovely, lovely folks uh, saying lovely things. So thank you very much. Uh, let's get into the Q&A because there's some absolutely fabulous questions as well. So thank you to everyone in the community for contributing those. Um, if you give a thumbs up to any questions that you like, we'll make sure to try and prioritize those ones. Uh, so if you head to the Q&A feature, uh, we'll, we'll find those. And make sure to uh, have a search down the bottom as well because uh, there's some, some great questions that come in late. Um, the first question is quite a tactical one that comes from Alex. Uh, night um and so you know 
there are legitimate answers here, which is, in my experience, I don't know. And, and that's okay. But uh, Alex says, as a small business, uh, what is a good first channel to prove out brand building and start seeing results? And how much budget would you assign, recommend assigning to it? So sort of speaking about that sort of flipping point, um, have you any experience or examples of, of folks really effectively uh, using specific channels? My answer, yeah, I have got an answer to this one. Um, and um I think it's really exciting, actually, because, um, you know, what what is the channel that smaller smaller businesses can use? Because, you know, people always go, oh, brand building, it's telly, right? And that's hundreds of thousand pounds on a creative and you can't get a spot for, for less than, you know, so it, it, it's, it, it's unattainable and it's hard to test and learn with as well, because by the time you've aired it, you know, you've spent so much that it's not a test anymore, it's the whole thing, right? Um, but the good news is that online video is stonking for brand building. It's got all the same things that TV's got. Like it's got movement, it's got sound. Quite often you're actually holding the thing in your hands as well. So it's touchy, you're touching it um, too. So, um, you know, video is always good for brand building and online video works as well as TV in some cases. Um, and it's, it's emerging as a really um, effective channel for both short and long. Um, and the reason why I think that is because I've seen it in three separate meta analyses that all point to um, online video being the, the second best for long lived effect and brand building um, after TV. So that's the answer. Um, and the great news is you can whack it on and see what works, right? You, you get some data straight away. So you can put two and go, which one is it? This one or this one? Um, so there. Uh, that's fantastic you know and, and azim's in the chat here so it's interesting we had a session last week on seo and uh, we asked the question if you had one hour to spend on seo each week what would you do and uh, crystal carter from wix uh, gave the answer i would be producing video um which is really really fascinating from from the perspective of, of both of these answers mir mirroring each other so thank you so much that's that's a great answer and a great place for people to start hopefully the case is building up for folks watching in today to sort of say time to invest some time as uncomfortable as that feels maybe we should do a session on that quite soon um thank you um so the next question comes from azim uh, who actually was the aforementioned speaker from last week as well hi <laughs> he's a legend he's so kind uh and azim asks uh how can small businesses shift to brand building airbnb a great example of brand building with larger budgets but smaller businesses can't compete uh he says apologies if that was coming up later in the session so again speaking of that inflection point you know i guess asking you about any experiences of of sort of taking people on that transition from from performance to, to brand and any wise words that you may have to offer uh in, in that scenario yeah, the, the, I mean, we, we've, as I say, we've been through it um, with with clients quite a lot, and some some quite quite small clients too going through it for their first um, their first executions. And the thing that really works is test and learn. Um, you know, you you, and it's something that I think we we sort of all forget um, in in the press. I think people forget about smaller businesses and go, oh yeah, just kind of do a great creative, and put it on TV, and it's kind of kind of not the easiest advice in a way to to take but um the way real businesses do it and actually get it done is is by by dipping their toe in the water and, and testing so with online video is one example where you can get data back um 
regional tests for things like radio and out of home are also really doable. You just stick it on in one region and then have a look to see that you did better than the, the others. Nice. That's perfect. You know, and it is, it's, that's, that's the job, isn't it? That's the marketing job to, to, to figure these things out. Um, so thank you. Uh, great. Yeah. Uh, let's take the next one from Pollyanna because you're giving uh, just really wonderful answers that that require very little <laughs> extra depth because you just know. <laughs> so uh, Pollyanna says, um, how can scale up brands measure their reputation slash brand strength when they don't have budget for third party measurement, et cetera, right? e.g. they're not big enough to show up on Google Trends? Um, and this is something that like I can definitely resonate with. <laughs> Because there's like share search tools where it basically shows you at zero, right? So, um, have you got an example of uh, folks rep, uh, man, uh, measuring their reputation uh, particularly well at that stage? Yeah, really, really good question. And um, if you're a small business, you don't charcoal search, and you, you know you might uh, commission a tracker or something like that, and, and even then, you might not come up. Um, it might be so you might you might your awareness so small that a, a move in it doesn't really mean anything in the sense of the statistical kind of sampling around it the only thing i can suggest is that nowadays we do have um, uh, much more um, online panels for um kind of pre and post campaign dips um and my suggestion i think click think carefully about what the size for those dips should be so get the research get the panel to be really tight and and dip before and after um that's one way around it if you, with the uh, riders they're not they're actually not that expensive to do it anymore um, and then the other thing and i uh, this um you know sounds strange but in smaller businesses talking to people just talk to people and it's it sounds it sounds really um kind of from someone that's a real data person just to say that um but you know that is a really good way of of, of finding how 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 people responded to what what you did um speak to customers and and speak to target customers um it's actually what we do numbers <laughs> so that's my lot that's my own pocket lot, lot with tip <laughs> No, it's, it's so perfect. Thank you. You know, we've had relationships in the past and when we don't work with them anymore, but I know there's platforms like YouGov, as you say, and, and uh, a test as well is another one that uh, we've we've used in the past. So um, just as a couple of examples of platforms that folks can use. Um, it also, your answer there mirrors uh, what Mark Ritson was saying earlier this year um, about marketing for smaller businesses. Um, he was speaking about it in the context of building a marketing strategy and he was speaking about ethnographic uh, research as an example of just getting out there and chatting with people or observing people yeah. but um yeah. to, to mirror your point there as well like it's so scary sometimes isn't it to 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 go out and actually say hello to people and ask them the questions uh, i don't know why i think we got used to being behind our keyboards but it's the most valuable stuff that you can do um so thank you for that encouragement. Yeah. Um, the next question comes from Zoe, uh, who says, how would you, um, so the data you presented today was uh, largely focused on e-com brands. And I know that 
we've had a chat independently about this, but how would you adapt this for B2B marketing, uh, particularly where you might have a very long uh, sales cycle, for example, 18 months? Uh, are the lessons that you presented today applicable in the same way? Um, it depends. Mm-hmm. Sorry, people say they are, it depends. Um, and then it's not the answer you want. You wanted a, a bullet answer. But no, it does depend. And, and um, For example, we have um, a client which is uh, GoDaddy. Do they sell domains um, and they sell hundreds of domains and that's to be because most people get their domain and put up a business website but there are people who are doing it just so and a lot of the the businesses they um they do sell to a kind of quite small businesses like you know i, I do lessons or something i, I don't that's not just an example <laughs> and for them all of things we say are absolutely bang on because they sell a lot of links but you know if you're selling um a p system to massive corporations you know th- some of this stuff isn't right for you you know those people don't make those kinds of decisions by searching internet they make them by getting re- recommendations and interviewing different people or, or doing running a press so innovation really you know you need sales force and 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 that that's really um branding helps the sales force to do what really well um but some some of the stuff we've been talking about with performance marketing just isn't appropriate. nice thank you grace um we're um I, I don't know about everyone else but i'm starting to get a few little connection problems so if that uh continues uh, then we'll we'll make sure we log the questions um, and and put them to you afterwards uh, as well. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll persevere for the moment because um, like this is gold. So thank you. Um, I definitely definitely got the majority of, of what you said. Um, so do let me know, folks, if it if it becomes a little bit too much. Uh, the next question comes from uh, Ilian. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, so Grace, from your experience, is there an average age when a scale-up sees the performance plateau and realizes they need to turn to uh, brand spend? Uh, it appears that scale-ups, which were founded 10 years ago, start seeing this around now. Um, I don't know uh, how that's based, but uh, do you see an average age of, of company who um, uh, need to turn to brand? Um, sorry, first of all, sorry for turning my, myself off. It's just so um, the jitters go away, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't think there is an average age because um, the things I was talking about, about how the outside world affects it, mm-hmm. um, affect different businesses in different ways at different times. So what, what's happening at the moment um, is that um, a lot of businesses are finding themselves on the plateau and it's and it's less to do with their age and more to do with what's happening in the economy and what's happening in consumers' pockets at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is there are times when you see a lot of businesses on the on the plateau um and it's less to do with their age but that said um if we were to kind of take away the effect of the the outside world changing in ways you can't control the 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 amount of time you've got before the plateau kicks in depends on kind of how big the market for your product is um, so again, you know, if you're selling T-shirts, everyone needs a T-shirt that it will be quite big and it will take longer. Um, and ASOS went a long time selling black T-shirts. Um, but, you know, if you sell um, 
you know, I'm just looking over there to my right at my my Technics 1210s. If you sell them, <laughs> there's probably a much smaller demand pool and you'll get there quicker because, you know, you don't need those. Not everybody needs those. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, wicked. Uh, again, just a, a wonderfully um, concise and so that says almost everything that needs to be said. So thank you. Um, which means we can go to the next one. We're, we're going through the questions in an amazing rate today, but I'm, I'm crediting Grace for your uh, answers here. It's brilliant. So um, Alex uh, asks, uh, Michael, uh, one of the participants in the chat today, uh, shared the long and the short of it. Uh, I've always understood that the strategy was both, not first performance, then brand. Uh, Grace, this is how Alex is phrasing the question. Are you uh, really advocating performance first? Um, and then I guess I might add an append here, which is, or is that just representative of what you see in the real world? Um, do you know what? It's really funny because I was actually talking about this to um, to um, to Lesbinette yesterday. God, what a name drop. Come I on. don't do that all the time. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is just, <laughs> let's just hear the kind of... <laughs> um, yeah, no, because we're, we're, he's, he's, we're working together on something for FWorks coming up in October, and um, we were talking about exactly this point, and um, he, he reminded me that they said something very similar in effectiveness in context, because, yes, along the short... It, 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 it is both, um, but in um, you know in effectiveness and context, they looked at different categories and they also looked at different life stages um, using the same methods they used in the long and the short of it. And when they looked at different life stages, they had that same finding that early life stage should be using activation first. So um, I, I love it when um, you know different bits of research and different bits of data verify one and one another, and, and this is one of those. Um, there are some exceptions to the rule, right? If you sell something that has people have to trust you before they can um, buy it from you, going straight to performance marketing, even when you're tiny, might not be the greatest thing. Like, say, if you sell medicine or something, you know, you can't just put up a Google search ad, I sell medicine and people will buy it because that's, that's not how it works. But in the vast majority of cases, um, the, the two sources, Les and Peter's and, and, and ours, line up on this that's really interesting because you know i can't help but place um the marketing meetup in in this context you know like anyone placed in their own businesses as, as they hear you speak and there was part of me in the middle of the presentation which was like oh you know maybe we do you know rocket put rocket fuel behind our growth you know by putting a lot more into performance spend but i think that point you just made there about the trust element say for example you know we're a community business you know for want of a better uh, phrase um you do need the trust and you need the the emotion you need everything that goes alongside it and so how we've grown today a little bit more organically maybe that's right for us um so i i appreciate that because it's really useful to uh, delve into the nuance here um um alex has put in i haven't read this but um i'm gonna pick on alex because they've put it in the chat uh alex says rubbish analogy but i always found the activation is the firefighter that gets the barbecue running but it's just not sustainable in its own long term which i don't Ooh, that's think. a great analogy i'm gonna take <laughs> that alex <laughs> <laughs> fire lighter not firefighter 
I mean, like I'm imagining a firefighter getting the the session the <laughs> going as well. You know, maybe there's a firefighter with a firelighter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know uh, what you mean, Alex. We're with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so the next one's from uh, Mohammed uh, in in the chat, uh, and again we're sort of speaking to that that inflection point. Uh, so Mohammed says, even if they, as in the rest of the company, is on board with uh, brand building, uh, they resist the use of mass market channels like TV and focus on doing social alone. Is there any advice? And I, I think this is about spreading spreading the amount of channels uh, that, that you engage with to, to, to do brand building. Is it just to present your slides? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'll just go back to that 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 thing about different people need different advice different evidence and different different types of, of 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 data and measurement and things put in front of them to be able to change their mind and um you know in the course we have a module on it um which is about we call it the theories of change thing and the advice is to to talk to those people and take them out for coffee or a pint or if you're an agency or you're just or, or new to to a role Tell, tell them you want to do um, stakeholder interviews to get to know the, the landscape and sit down with these people and find out what their beliefs are and find out what sort of evidence might change their mind. And, you know, it could be some of the things that we've seen today um, about, about um, you know, brand is a win-win and it's going to help you as well as uh, uh, and not push you out of being in charge of marketing. But it could be other things like it could be case studies or, you know, I met a CMO who couldn't um, put, put um, brand building to the founders until she had a really, really good story for why she hadn't done it already. Because if she went up to the founders and said, this brand building is amazing, she was just frightened. The guy would turn around and go, well, why haven't you done it already then? And so she had to have the story about before we weren't on the plateau and now we are. So now's the right time. And she had to have that with her own company's data um, before she could go to him. So, you know, there's things like that to reveal. Um, and as much as I love data and evidence and I'll go, oh, you know, MMM is amazing because it is and we do it. But, um, you know, there's the right thing for the right person. And that, that's the thing to really reveal before you go headlong into to, to producing data or case studies or frameworks or whatever. Nice. I really appreciate that because um, it, it strikes me that as a founder of a business, if one was to be confronted, and I guess the same is for a CEO, if one was to be confronted with a chart which says we're on the plateau, there's an ego thing that comes into that as little as, as much as you want to avoid it, which makes you think, oh, you know, that feels a bit sad. <laughs> you know? yeah, don't want to be there. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm doing my job right or, or something like that. And so, uh, you you've just spoken to a case study example and that that uh, does a great job of it but do you have examples of where you've taken people on the more human journey of this um and sort of had to confront them not confront them maybe is the well confronting them with the reality of the situation but then taking them on the journey of accepting this brand building thing because i imagine that's on the human side beyond the data quite a uh, difficult thing to do it is a difficult thing to do and it's it's um you know one of one of the things that as a as a measurement company we at magic numbers are um you know 
you might decide that's not my job as a measurement company. You might go, oh, you know, it's it's the, the client or the or the people that are buying the measurements job to make sure that the measurement is believed and then the recommendations can be acted on. Um, but but we take quite a different view to that. And we, we do do extensive stakeholder interviews with every client. And um, what you find is that nobody has an idea or a hunch or a, a belief randomly you know they, they've seen something that makes them believe it and quite often it's a it's another piece of research or they've heard a scare story about you know some somebody that's equivalent to them has gone into brand building and it hasn't worked or um they've got a piece of evidence that shows maybe google or you or, or, or somebody has given it to them that shows that that there's the performance marketing is the only way to go and so they've got something, they've got some reason why they believe what they believe and why they're not um, they're not getting on the bus, I guess. Mm. Um, and so one of the things that's really important is to reveal all of that. And then one of the things we do is, is to kind of put the pieces of evidence next to each other and, and explain why they might be pointing in different directions and and come to a point where all the jigsaw pieces of all of the different pieces of evidence point at the right answer. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's not always the right answer that brand building, doing more brand building is the right thing to do. There mm-hmm. are other times when, when actually, you know, um, it's not. So um, it, it is, it is about talking to people and it is about bringing them, bringing them through that journey, but it's also about kind of understanding why they believe what they believe because it's not the case that they're just they're just stupid or dumb or lazy or frightened or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> Never is. No, thank you. You know, I think it's it's a, it's a boring cliche, but it's a true cliche. You know, two ears, one mouth, and 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 if you take the time exactly as you say to to listen to folks and meet them where they are, then that feels really useful. So thank you uh, for speaking to that because I think the temptation is sometimes to go you know, to, to, to present the charts and say, this is what we need to do, you know, or, or say, this is the longer, the short of it and, and not in a forceful way, but just because we believe it. And so I really appreciate you speaking to that, that human approach and taking people on that journey. Cause um, I think that's a really important part of what we do as well. Um, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to uh, scan through the questions. It's 23 open questions presently. And um and uh four minutes left <laughs> so <laughs> um i'm gonna try and take ones which i don't feel like have been covered uh so far um so the first one comes from mark uh who says uh grace has previously shared a chart on the potential for growth for different categories in 2023 travel was strong furniture week for example given the changing economic circumstances is there a view on this chart slash data forecasted for 2024 Oh, good one. And yes, there is. Um, the uh, we've just done we've just done the update actually, and we've made this um, little tool um, called the Recovery Budget Planner, which you can um, access um, to 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 just put in your category and get forecasts out depending on what you spend. Um, but um, to answer your question, um, the Yes, the different the different um, sectors are are different again this year, but a lot of the things that we talked about last year um, are still carrying on, because um, the reason why travel was doing well was because of pent up demand from COVID, 
and all the latest figures on the travel sector is that it's continuing to to be quite healthy that said anything else that's kind of an expensive treat is probably being put on the back burner at the moment so um and particularly things that we bought a lot of in covid which is furniture mattresses things like that that they're kind of not going to have a good 2024 the forecast is that inflation will start to come back down again towards the middle of next year but inflation is still going to be a feature of people's decision making um going into for most of next year and so the same kind of things apply in the the expensive treats like electronics um thinking of buying a new ps5 probably people are going to put it on the back burner till 2025 um because they're just you know paying the bills and and, and making ends meet next year still thank you that's a phenomenal answer i'm looking forward to diving into uh, the tool as well so really appreciate that um, i will post it on linkedin so if anyone wants to get a uh, go to it just uh, if you're not already join me up on linkedin and you'll get it that's amazing free. thank you and we'll also um we'll link it in the follow-up email for the session as well um cool. so so that will go there as well as the link to to your course um the next question that i don't think yet has been answered or, or touched upon yet is from harry uh, so Harry asks, uh, how long a data set would you allow a performance plateau before you start investing in brand building? Oh, that's a really good one. <laughs> I haven't thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one then. <laughs> we uh, yeah, I'll write that down and investigate it and do a blog about it. <laughs> That's great. Well, there we are. Uh, Harry, you've inspired something special there. So I hope that's that's uh, that's something in itself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's take the the final one from uh, Rohan. Uh, so Rohan asks: uh, At one point, you referenced uh, brand reputation scores uh, in your presentation. Um, so how are they they computed? Uh, just uh, so Rohan can know. Uh, in that study, they um, had quite a, a big survey of the brand reputation scores. Um, okay. they, it came from an academic paper. Um, but I mean, I think that we talked about earlier about kind of how to understand whether brand building is working for smaller businesses. And I think I'd kind of suggest that yeah. um, generally. Nice. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Grace, um, Pleasure. you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for um, the thoughts in your head, but also how you carry yourself. It's an absolute delight um, every time uh, we get the chance to cross paths. So thank you very much. Thank um, you. And it's been a joy. <laughs> and thank you everyone as well for, for tuning in, for your great, great questions today, uh, for making the chat insane as it always is. Um, it's dead appreciated. Um, this is a really special thing. So appreciate every one of you. Um, with all that said, we're back next Tuesday. Um, I will promise no more talking dog videos uh, if you would like to come along. Uh, it's with April Dunford, the famous April Dunford. Um, and with all that said, uh, I just hope you have a really, really brilliant day. Um, and thank you once again, Grace. Uh, appreciate the hell out of you. Um, in the follow-up email, there'll be the link to the story block resource and also a link to uh, Grace's course. Do check both out. That's why I was saying thank you to Grace because uh, she's just a legend. Uh, with all that said, uh, take care, everyone, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you. Bye.